Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. This is John Powers, the host of Experts Only Podcasts. We're here at Solar Power International doing a live recording of this week's episode. And for those in the audience that are not familiar with Experts Only, we focus on the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. And for those in the audience uh, that are on the, uh, online, the Solar Power International is also lovingly known here as SPI. Uh, it's now part of North America Smart Energy Week. And for those unfamiliar, it's put on by the Smart Electric Power Alliance and Solar Energy Industry Association. It's the lar- largest gathering of solar, smart energy microgrid, and energy storage uh, efforts and professionals in North America. We're recording live in the podcast lounge, which was put together by my good friend Nico, who you heard from earlier. Uh, You probably recognize him from his podcast, Suncast. Clean Capital is honored to be sponsoring the podcast lounge this year and look to be involved with it again in the future. Our theme at Clean Capital this year, along with Vote Solar at SPI, is about change makers, highlighting the people and organizations that are driving America's shift to the clean energy economy. Earlier this month, our team at Clean Capital put out its first annual Changemakers report, highlighting the growth. We don't often talk about Clean Capital here on this podcast. I'm going to do it for a second because we are sponsoring today. You can find more information about Clean Capital and our other episodes of Experts Only at cleancapital.com. What we did at Clean Capital this year is really focus on growth, and we've seen a hockey stick of growth in 2019, quadrupling our assets under management to nearly half a billion. And since last year's SPI, our megawatts under management grew 390%. We're going to keep this momentum. We've got another $100 billion we're trying to put out the door, $100 million by the end of this. We'd love to put $100 billion out, but $100 million by the end of the uh, fiscal year. And we're looking for both operating assets, storage, and new build uh, within the distributed market. So we came up with the Changemakers theme because we recognize that our company's growth is part of and in some ways helping to drive a much larger wave of momentum in the clean energy industry. And on our show today, we've got some some returning guests and some new guests that are really making a big difference in the industry. We've got Bill Bush, the CFO of STEM, Adam Browning, the CEO of Vote Solar, and Emily Fritz, the Director in Strategy and Business Development at Powerhouse Ventures. So our show is going to take a look back at what's happened since last year's conference and how we see the market continue to evolve in the future. So the first round of questions while we're recording here live, if you look back specifically over the last few weeks, this summer uh, we've not just witnessed the first ever international climate strike where millions of people came out in London and Melbourne, New York, and Buffalo where I am. We had two presidential forums on climate. Here we are with 20,000 of our closest friends in Utah talking about the future of a clean energy industry. At the same time, there's a climate summit happening in New York City. This moment is, I think, relatively unique and hopefully helping to drive the transition to a clean energy future that we also we all work at. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about the, the way your organizations view this and you know, view how this moment is helping to drive the future of the industry. So, Adam, can you talk a little bit about, first of all, what the Vote Solar does and, you know, what the role that you sort of see this broader cultural moment having is setting the stage uh, for policy changes of the last year? And if it's helpful to put on the headphones, feel free to do so. Sure thing. Um, First, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be a part of this group of awesome change makers. 
So Vote Solar, we're a nonprofit public advocacy organization focused on state-level policy change to really supercharge this transition to renewable energy, solar in specific, but in uh, collaboration with the full suite of clean energy solutions. We've been doing this since 2002. I think my first SPI uh, was in a dingy ballroom in Reno. Uh, really, we've made a huge amount of difference uh, and growth over the years. So you asked about like what is wait the first one you went to was in Reno, you know, that's my memory. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, probably true. I don't uh, know. Uh, but it, it was, sounds it, dingy. You know, it was it was nothing against Reno, but it, it was Reno. <laughs> it was a uh, you know as this industry's grown, and that's part of my point that I'd like to make here is we are at a point right now where there is a trifecta of really compelling economics good politics and winnable venues that's really driving this growth. And so when I think of like the first 10 years that uh, I worked on solar policy, it was about how do we make solar cheap? And that was through economies of scale. We had a, uh, a, a theory of change that what you needed to do is incentivize the industry, build economies of scale in order to bring down the cost. That worked. Now we're at a situation where uh, we're able to have a much larger conversation around like how do we deploy this at such massive scale in order to completely solve much larger problems like climate. So right. one thing that has been uh, unique about solar in specific and renewable energy as opposed to climate is that we have super majorities of Americans that really want to see this transition to renewable energy happen on both sides of the aisle. Right. Climate continues to be a really divisive issue in this country. And so what I'm seeing right now is like you have this convening of really compelling economics combined with some examples of real success in what this transition looks like and so that it's not so scary. It is really about something that is making your life better rather than having to go through sacrifices in order to right. have success with climate. And you know, I think that really is at the root of a lot of this, uh, the energy of this moment right now. At the same time, we also have a, a situation where we're feeling the impacts of climate in ways that we haven't ever before. So I just want to take a moment to talk about the fact that right now, one in four people in this country live in a state where 100% clean electricity is the law. Six states have passed that requirement, and of those six, five came in the last 13 months. Wow. So while things in D.C. are really depressing on the federal level, I think what it's we've a good way of putting it. What we've, uh, <laughs> what we've achieved over the past, you know, over the past years, really focusing on state-level policy, is really the biggest, most important string of climate successes that this country has ever seen. And it's really been focused around this transition to 100% clean energy. That's fascinating. Bill, to turn it to storage for a second. So Bill Bush is the CFO of STEM. The last time we talked, it was almost a year ago, you know, I think you said very wisely that storage was sort of it's solar in 2000, 2008, right? <laughs> but what storage didn't have at the time was uh, someone sort of plowing through, putting in place these state-level initiatives that could really accelerate it that we're seeing today. How is that helping what you guys are doing on the storage front? And have you guys seen a leap of storage in 2009 to maybe, or solar in 2009 as storage to maybe we're caught up to 2012? Or where do you, where do you see the industry today? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think the, where storage is right now is that it's becoming 
a strong partner to, to solar. Right. And so I think the I think what's happened generally storage on a standalone basis only works in a in a relatively small number of states, particularly when you compare it to the number of states that solar works. And I think in pretty much all of the cases that that we see, storage is additive economics to you know, essentially an industry which is seeing declining gross margins at the project level. And right. storage uh, gives a solar developer really a path through uh, to be able to to really to develop a project which they might not have been able to do in the past. And I think there's plenty of examples of that on the solar storage front. I mean, I think there's been a lot of work on that done in Massachusetts as an example. You're seeing a lot of that in California. And so to me, I think that's really where you're going to start seeing, you know, those, you know, I think in the, those weren't, well, certainly California was the first solar state. Massachusetts wasn't, but certainly has been, you know, historically one of the most aggressive in Absolutely, terms yeah. of rolling out incentive programs that allow the development of, you know, really renewable energy. Certainly, you know, there's other states that have been active, you know, New Jersey, and, you know, now you're starting to see Maine, Rhode Island, you know, a whole bunch of states on the Northeast. Um, and, of course, you know, there's a lot of solar stuff happening in the, South, in the Southwest and the Southeast. But I think, I think the biggest difference to me is not so much that um, storage is becoming more predominant. I think it's that the, you know, and this is maybe where my focus is in some ways, is that the financeability of storage has increased dramatically. Yeah. And I think you kind of see that, you know, I, can't, I don't remember, I have to admit, I didn't look back and see when we talked, but certainly, you know, within the last year or so, we had an investment from a Canadian pension fund, uh, both on the equity side and on the project side, and I think when you know it took years for that to happen in solar. Yes. I mean, I think I started in solar in 2007 or 2008. I'm not sure, and we didn't start seeing pension money until like 13, 14 right. kind of time period. It's game changing. So yeah, that's a that's a huge you know, and you know certainly if you look at GTM or any of the various um, pieces, a lot of cost down over the next uh, period of time. I saw something yesterday actually, kind of reading in advance of this that. The cost curves for batteries are almost steeper than what we saw in panels, and so I think that. But that, and that happened true in solar as well. But I think the true change was when pension funds and large industrial managers, like the guys that are backing you, yeah. I mean, you know, once you start seeing large, multi-billion-dollar funds coming into the market, you know that it's a real thing. And so, to me, I think that has actually been a massive change, even though storage doesn't work in nearly as many states as solar does. I think the acceptability and the and the financeability of the product is going to really accelerate growth pretty dramatically. Yeah, we, we had a theory when we started Clean Capital that if we could work in the yielding solar, you know, our mission has been to bring new capital into the, the marketplace. And if we could work in operating solar and keep people familiar with what it is and how these assets work and the, how they're, it's really a yielding, yielding asset, that we could move into other asset classes, and it's great to hear this is happening in, yeah. in storage. Yeah, I was explaining, or something with somebody this morning, I was like, it's just, it's a lot like real estate. It has the same kind of basic tenant of, you got a customer contract, maybe you have an incentive, maybe you don't, but that's kind of what, like, what a real estate asset is. I go in and I buy a building, it has a certain rent roll, and my hope is that one of the two things, or maybe both are gonna happen, that the property's gonna appreciate, and I'm gonna be able to charge more rent, you know, today, right. rather than, you know, than tomorrow, rather than today. Storage has those same dynamics associated with it. You have a customer contract, you have an incentive of some sort, and you have market participation, which is the ability to appreciate that asset over some period of time. So I think that's, to me, that's the most exciting part of this, where solar 
kind of has that, but not nearly to right. the level that the storage side does. Emily, I want to turn it to the venture side for a second. And can you talk a little bit about what, first of all, for folks unfamiliar, what Powerhouse Venture does, and then how, you know, I think there's a phenomenal sort of momentum, a lot internationally, but also here uh, at home for folks to be investing in climate solutions. For instance, we just had Melanie Nakagawa on, who has a really great uh, climate metrics they developed for their, their, their firm, for instance. So, you know, how is that affecting what you're seeing in the technologies coming forward? Yeah, definitely. So Powerhouse is a, an Oakland-based seed fund. We invest in clean energy startups, mostly software and digital technologies. We started off as a co-working space about five, six years ago, uh, just offering space for clean energy startups to basically co-locate and work alongside one another. And since then, we've housed 70 startups in the physical space, including you know some notable uh, uh, startups that are now on a growth stage like Mosaic, uh, the solar loan financing company, KWH Analytics, PowerHive, among others, um, and and you know, uh, as we all know, undoubtedly, what is still do you have to kick them out the door at a certain point? Like, listen, you guys are too big. We do. <laughs> Go pay rent somewhere else. It's a, it's a, a, <laughs> it's a like positive a positive uh, transition when that happens. Right. Um, so uh, you know what we all undoubtedly know is that what is still needed in the market is uh, early stage capital. Um, that is prepared for the risk associated with that very early stage and, and you know, the nature of our industry. Um, and as we all know, uh, there was a lot of venture capital that came into clean energy and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, some not so smart investments. Right. A lot of investors lost money. I think the exciting thing in the last couple of years, certainly we've seen at Powerhouse, is that uh, there is a, a reemergence of venture capital and uh, interest in investing in the space in clean energy and in climate more broadly. Some, of course, motivated by impact investing, but um, also others returning with interest in the clean energy uh, and uh, transportation sector at large. I think one is, is there a sector you're finding people are more interested in than others? Yeah, I think you know certainly the rise of electric vehicles right. um, is for the first time requiring that you know or, or, or allowing customers to have to think about electricity and uh, and, and as a result um, we're seeing all sorts of interesting innovation and business models. Um, but I also think that it is you know in some cases gives venture capital the types of market opportunities that they're looking for um, as they see the fusion of electricity with transportation. So that's one particular area. But yeah. I also think that in investors are just a little smarter. You know, a lot of people lost money in biofuels and refineries and, you know, large scale material processing. And what you now see is, uh, you know, folks doing a little bit like what we're doing at Powerhouse Ventures, which is investing in the, what is still needed, which is that digital transformation of the clean energy sector and all of the many opportunities and business models um, that are emerging in that space. Yeah, I mean, we talk actually a lot of the show with, with guests about uh, how in the venture space today, people are they're looking at how to bring multiple verticals together, right? We've got... We've had, you know, Brooke Porter on who talked about how they're trying to tie the Internet of Things into the broader sustainability piece. When you look at the sort of the, the state of play in venture for clean energy, you've got breakthrough in the stuff that they're doing. You've got, how do you guys sort of differentiate yourself from sort of the broader market that's excitingly developing, right? Because a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, we tried this before and it failed. It's not going to work. Yeah, so, you know, uh, one, we operate at the earliest stage possible. So we are uh, that first check-in, pre-seed rounds or seed rounds 
for clean energy and mobility startups. We also are focused on, and historically have been, on this kind of niche area of the smart home, fintech, uh, business model innovation, uh, so a lot of the accompanying technologies, whereas we have those great players like Breakthrough who are supporting the, uh, you know, high-risk uh, hardware innovation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, kind of three three trends. So far we've made eight investments, so the fund will make another 25 to 30 over the course of the next four years. Um, some of the trends in our portfolio so, so far, uh, of course, the rapid deployment of distributed generation and a lot of really interesting creative uh, software approaches to integrating and optimizing DRs. Um, a couple investments in companies who are looking to optimize uh, infrastructure assets and uh, pr predictive uh, maintenance, both for wind and solar. Um, and then we've actually made a couple investments, investments in startups that are working in emerging markets who are enabling technologies for microgrids or um, you know, attempting to tap into all of the unlocked potential in, uh, in Africa and Southeast Asia. Yeah, interesting. So I want to take a minute to sort of look out here. And if you sort of fall back from the last few years at SPI, right, you had sort of the post-Trump election fear that the world was going to fall. You had the, so, the tariffs on solar fear that that was going to crush the industry. It can, you know, that I think it didn't smoothly go over it, but it continued to grow. Our industry continues to grow in leaps and bounds. We're getting, you know, the, the highest in the center, uh, the highest new uh, employees in the workforce are, are solar solar installers and wind technicians. Storage is making incredible trends. There are policy uncertainties ahead. The investment tax credit, what's going to happen? That how new markets are going to going to open up. But if you sort of looked out over the course of the next year, there's some great macro trends as well. You've got corporate procurement growing in unbelievable ways, more educated uh, procurers, and not just in the Googles and Apples, but even in the smaller corporate leadership. What are some of the uh, views that, that, for instance, STEM takes of these macro trends, and you know, where do you see the, sort of the market going over the course of the next year? I guess if I knew it's a lot that, there. I guess if I knew that answer, I probably wouldn't be sitting yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think I think there's going to be a couple of trends that we would expect to see, and I think one of the biggest ones uh, is this continued pairing with solar plus storage. Yeah. I mean that you know, folks have been predicting that for a little while. You know, we announced this morning that we signed a 61 megawatt hour deal with Kearsarge, developer in the Northeast. That's twice as big as any deal we've ever done before. It represents about, um, I think it's 200% of bookings from wow. three years ago. So it kind of gives you some sense of, and that's just one deal right. we've signed this year. And so I think when you think, and those are, that's a solar plus storage deal. And so I think that is really going to be a trend where I think you're going to see more states figure out how batteries can can harden their infrastructure. And it's it's a little scary for a lot of regulators, I think, because the batteries represent, you know, an asset class that they're not used to. And just like they went through solar, very difficult time, you know, on the interconnection side of things, how much generation equipment they were going to need to have there, you know, whether it was, you know, all, all sorts of issues around there. I think those questions are going to be starting to be answered. So I think it's kind of a question on some level of continued progress is what I think you're going to see right. over the next year. I don't see any like really big things happening, really. I don't think, you know, certainly... Does the, the, do you see the, any uncertainty around the ITC? Or I, I mean, 
you know, I think the ITC is a political football a little yeah. bit. Um, and certainly the Trump administration has been very vocal about being um, in favor of infrastructure. Storage is absolutely an infrastructure investment. Absolutely. So it should fit kind of right in there, but they haven't, you know, frankly, they haven't been the nicest to renewables in general. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, kind of a dichotomy there. And I think Adam said it the best is that I think it's a state problem. Right. The states have always led on the renewable side. The federal government really never has. They've come in, you know, a little bit late a couple of times, first with a grant and then with the ITC. It's certainly helpful to the industry for sure. I mean, I'm not denigrating that anyway, but but if you think about it, it was like really California and New Jersey, which really got solar started, not the federal government. Totally, yeah. And so from that standpoint, I think it's, I mean, to me, it's heartening to see, and I didn't actually know the stat that, that Adam mentioned earlier today, I hadn't heard that. So that, you know, I think you, know, you, you hear things like that. And to me, every time there's a solar facility built, that means there's another opportunity for storage. Right. Because... You know, everybody's familiar with the California duck curve, or probably everybody here at least is right. familiar with that. Maybe not everybody. My dad listens to the show. He has no idea what that is, but yeah, like, I'll, now I'll have to explain it to him. What is it about this duck thing? I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, you know, so certainly, and I heard this this morning, which I think is kind of true, is that storage is the friend of everyone. Right. Utilities like it. Solar customers like it. Solar developers like it. States seem to like it. So from that standpoint, you know, we're kind of in the uh, the sun. That's of, great. You know, <laughs> we're in a happy little spot right there, and hopefully we'll be able to stay there. So, so Adam, looking at you, put some great stats out about the growth of the 100% goals in the states. You know, but what having worked on the federal side, one of the things we were able to do is create a lot of best practices to share, and I think we're seeing like. Each of these states is trying to tackle things differently, whether it be the changes they're seeing in Massachusetts or uh, in North Carolina or in Illinois. You know, what um, do you see any sort of coming together of best practices amongst these states that are really putting some really aggressive goals out? Um, and I'm, I'm going to follow this to Emily about how new companies start to look at that. But you know, would lo- love to get your thoughts on how we can sort of start to drive so there's a little more synergy across those 50 fiefdoms that we're wrestling with. That's a great question. I could take that a lot of different ways, yeah. but I think I'll just start by saying, you know, if the early days of policy advocacy were around making this stuff cheap, now it's really about making it work yeah. and also making it work for whom. Uh, and we're uh, really, you know, the pathway to winning on a lot of these 100% uh, clean energy was really around having an, uh, uh, centering equity, thinking about like who benefits and really having a very broad right. coalition at the table. So what does that mean from a, an investment? And I'm really glad to hear a lot of Emily's talking about seeing like ventures investing in a lot of places that I think that the policy conversation is going as well, which is first make it cheap, then make it all work. And like the conversation here is like really around grid reliability. And this is where we really do have many different conversations amongst the different regional transmission organizations, the different organized and unorganized markets. Right. Um, of like, how do you really uh, uh, design markets so that you, in the end, have a reliable grid? Grids going down are career-ending problems for policymakers. So, uh, really interesting report out recently by Rocky Mountain Institute that looked at the next 68 gigawatts of natural gas Hmm. that have been proposed. And if you look at that, I did the economic analysis and said 90% of those can be beat economically by clean energy portfolios. You look underneath that, what is a clean energy portfolio? If you limit that to solar, storage, and wind, 
that 90% number drops to 25%. So demand response, right. energy efficiency, uh, really all the ways of turning the knobs on the load side are crucial to really making this grid work, making it work for individuals, a customer-centric vision, and making it work really uh, uh, efficiently, uh, lowering the you know, overall capital investment that we have to have. So that is really where I see a lot of the trends happening right now going forward in the future. It's not just the solar, it's like everything else that's in service of it that um, uh, matches our demand and our load. So, I mean, that's a super complicated challenge that we're trying to address, and I think- Welcome just, to my world. Yeah, <laughs> going, but, but going back to sort of the, the heart of the question, now how do you take that into you know, the, the policy makers in all these different states and try to at least bring some alignment so the companies that, that Emily's investing in right, are able to come up with solutions that can work broadly but not for one specific market? Yeah, you know, like it or not, you know, we do have 50 different states. Yeah, and right. uh, I don't think that we're going to have a one state fits all, one template fits all scenarios yeah. for good reasons and for bad reasons. So uh, I think partly, you know, we have in some states, we have policymakers and really companies that are interested in really trying to pioneer new solutions. So let's just take very recently uh, in Oakland, home to at least two of us here, three of us maybe, um, you had uh, a local community choice aggregator, uh, East Bay Community Energy, sign a contract with Sunrun, who's doing behind the meter storage on low income housing. Right. And those batteries are going to be put into service for those customers most of the time, except for when there's a KISO demand response proxy event. And, when, and then it'll be really a, a, a grid service at that time. So there's no reason why PG&E couldn't have done something like that. Right. Partnered with a, uh, uh, you know, a, a low-income community to really drive more reliability into the system, except for they didn't. They didn't want to. Yeah. Um, when you have a policy situation where you put a more responsive grid operator in control of decisions, you get new solutions like this. And this is something, um, sorry, Bill, I didn't. I, I name checked a competitor here, but broadly speaking, um, you know, I think like the more that we get these examples of people that are willing to pioneer, you know, new innovative programs that uh, solve for grid problems in new ways, we're going to see new solutions. And this was, again, this wasn't just a state. This was also a KISO right. situation where you have um, sort of state and regional policy coming together to make it all work. So Emily, when you're coaching new companies that are developing interesting technologies that will hopefully go to solve some of these challenges, how do you get them to think about sort of the policy and regulatory environment? Because uh, it's always been a, a barrier to a lot of entry for energy companies. Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, having also been on the policy side prior to being at Powerhouse, something that I'm very personally invested in. Um, I think you know, honestly, we could be doing a better job of helping coach startups to think about the policy, policy and regulatory framework as they're developing their products. Most of them, not surprisingly, are you know pretty heads down right. developing technology. And in some cases, where if they're developing you know software that where they that needs to be attuned with you know uh, rate structures and, and time of use or, or whatnot, they're a lot more in line with policy trends and regulation. But I don't think that we're probably doing enough to involve some of the policy leaders early on, and also in you know in preparing them for that growth stage where they are going to very much so need to, to be aware and apprised of the policy framework. All right, interesting. So 
if we're going to ha have this again next year, and you could sort of step back and take a sort of educated guess or a prediction at, at something that's going to change the market or how the market's going to grow, how do you sort of view the next 12 months for our space? And I'll start with Emily. Well, you know, I think something that seems so obvious, but that is worth you know, reminding, reminding us in the course of this conversation as we look forward is the fact that, you know, uh, it's good to be at SBI. Solar yeah. is, is doing extremely well. Um, you know, one third of global capacity is now renewables. 55% of that is solar. Um, costs of solar have come down 85%. Uh, you know, and what I was thinking about before jumping in the podcast is, you know, I think a lot of us listen to Greta's really uh, inspiring remarks yeah. yesterday, and so much of our ability to meet those carbon reduction goals is is our ability to deploy renewables broadly, but especially solar. So, um, a lot to celebrate here this year at SBI. Uh, you know, going forward, I think certainly a lot of what happens in the next year. Uh, is contingent on some of these big policy decisions like the potential uh, you know, de decision around phasing down ITC. Um, I think you know, we'll uh, excited to see continued uh, and we'll predict that continued and maybe outpaced growth in uh, residential storage, electric vehicle sales, and continued uh, proliferation of exciting technology you know, around soft costs uh, where there's, as we know, as we know huge opportunities. Bill, I'm going to turn to you on this one. Um, boys, that is a pretty wide question. I would say, and I would, from your perspective, it'd be great to hear from the storage side, right? Like, what? Yeah, what, no, what I, I think um, I think we're going to see probably on the bad side, probably not as much price decline on, on on batteries as we might hope for. Yeah, but I've always thought the best thing that could happen to the industry, whether renewables, is that it doesn't need the ITC. Yeah. And so, um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I listened to an interesting podcast, one of your podcast competitors. Uh, they interviewed uh, Ed Mark. It's a community. We don't compete. It's a community of friends. <laughs> large, a lot of friends. And he was, it was interesting. He was talking about, you know, support for renewables generally. And he said, you know, it's not like uh, the Rockefellers and the whoever oil companies didn't have massive government support when they got started. Right. And you know, they basically have a 100-year head start on renewables, or maybe 75 or something, right. you know, depending on when you, you start the clock. So to me, I think, I think what's going to happen, and I think it will um, it'll have an interesting impact, is I think there will be a solar ITC. I think the Trump administration is going to pass that. And I think that is going to spur both more standalone storage and more paired storage. And so hard to predict how much. But I see that as a massive driver. It, it's such a politically expedient solution that I don't think the administration is going to be able to pass the, the fastball up. And so I, right. would, I mean, a year from now, I would expect to see that, and you know, and that will have an interesting impact. Though in some ways, I'd say like it's probably good to be off the dole in the yeah. same way. You know, I think you know when um, you know industries become self-serving. I was thinking about like for. You know, for any company, when they can start, you know, when they move out of the, you know, out of mom and dad's house, or they start, you know, generating enough so cash. So powerhouses, <laughs> mom and dad's house. <laughs> you know, uh, or generating enough cash to feed themselves. That's that's an amazing accomplishment, and I think you're seeing that with some storage or solar companies today. I certainly worked for one at Borrego. Yeah. Um, you know, we were feeding ourselves. We didn't need an incentive in a lot of mar in some markets, uh, and I think that uh, the storage companies need to be able to do the same thing. Yeah. Excellent. 
2020 election is going to be sitting right in front of us when we have our next Solar Power International. So how is the conversation happening at the presidential level going to affect the stuff that you guys are doing sort of at the state level? So I think part of the reason for a lot of the recent success here is that, you know, A, there's really good politics behind this, and state policymakers realize, look, there's no cavalry coming to the rescue. Right. I worry about this. My kids are looking at me funny. And nobody else is going to solve this. It's up to me. So going up to 2020, so 2016 elections, or sorry, 2018, we saw 1,400 candidates run on at different levels on some sort of 100% clean platforms. Eight of those winning ones became governors. We're going to see that that Amazing. whole phenomenon doubled. Like we've broken the taboo on, right. on this being seen too hippy-dippy. Now this is like where you have to be to be relevant to the conversation. So I would say a lot of gubernatorial candidates, a lot of uh, those races really will be a referendum on how renewable can you get. How much this plays into the presidential election, I think it'll be a formidable issue. Yeah. Uh, climate broadly, renewables as a way of getting to it, but really focused on the state level. And governors really matter. I see Absolutely. the, the uh, you know, this is now an accountability issue, and uh, people need or will be held accountable to whether or not they support this. So I, I see. They're going to have to do that on the run-up to the 2020 elections as well. So hopefully next year, knock wood, I hope I don't jinx it, another three to five states that have passed 100% clean yeah. laws. We'd love to see it. So um, first of all, thanks everyone for joining us. I know SPI is a really busy time. Appreciate you being here at the lounge. Uh, we'd love to do this again next year and sort of see where we've come out. I just want to challenge the folks that are that are online listening. Uh, is, if folks know I'm a huge fan of Vote Solar. Go to Vote Solar and donate today because it's the policies that they're pushing that's going to help our industry continue to grow. Uh, they can also donate the STEM if they want, but I don't know if you take their money. <laughs> or find clean energy investments to make. But thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you guys have a really successful couple of days out here in Salt Lake City and look forward to seeing you next year. It was a pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to our live recording at Solar Power International 2019. I want to specifically thank Bill and Adam and Emily for being great sports and joining us on the floor for a really interesting conversation about where the market's been and, and really where it's going in 2020 and beyond. You can join us for another live podcast that's going to take place at Solar Storage and Finance USA in New York City, October 29th and 30th. You can go to cleancapital.com. Uh, and go to our podcast page for experts only and find a, a discount for registration. Hope, hope to see you in New York. And as always, I'd like to thank our producers, Carly Batten and Nicole Waddington, for their help making this episode come together. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.